thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. This message is from the study Ephesians, who we are and what we do in Christ, and was preached on October 3rd, 2021. We're in our study of the book of Ephesians, and as we saw last week, Paul changed his focus between chapter 3 and 4 about halfway through the book. In chapters 1 through 3, primarily what Paul was doing was teaching truth, good, solid doctrine. This is what is true. And then in chapters 4 through 6, he is giving us the practical application of that truth. Because of who God is, because of who we are, because of who people are, and because this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is how we should live as a result. A complaint you often hear about the church, and unfortunately, sometimes it's true, is that we spend too much time teaching outdated, illogical rules. Now, that's not what Paul is doing here. In Ephesians, he is teaching a lifestyle, a way of life that is logically based upon our faith. This is true, and since this is true, this is how you put it into practice. It's neither contemporary nor old-fashioned. It's neither progressive nor conservative. It's life based on what we believe about God, about Jesus, and about people. It is distinctly Christian. If you believe this, then you will live this. Many years ago, I think it was about 11 years ago, Don and I were in the market for an economy car. And so we decided we were going to look at the two that were kind of the the top of the reliability list. And at the time, it was a a Honda Civic and a Toyota Corolla. And so we we went to both dealerships, and we listened to the spiel that the the salesmen make. And the, the, the Honda salesman, when we told him we were looking at those two cars, he gave us everything about why the Honda is far superior to the Toyota. And he showed us things and he said all these things. And at the end of the conversation, I asked him, so what car do you drive? (laughs) And he sheepishly and finally admitted he drove a Toyota. His belief system and his practices did not match. We cannot afford to let that happen in the church or for Christians. What we believe has to lead us to how we live. How we live has to be based on what we believe. And so the overall teaching of of chapters four through six is that we are to live a life worthy of the calling of Jesus. Paul's focus last week was on unity. His focus today is on teamwork. A believer who is actually living the Christian life will live in unity and love, and a church that is living the gospel of Jesus Christ functions as a team. Now, I'm going to apologize ahead of time if I overuse some sports analogies today, because when you're talking teamwork, sports analogies are a natural. And beyond that, it's just kind of fun when the Cardinals are 3-0 and and the Raiders are 3-0, and you know how many years it's been since both teams were 3-0, and my, my two top teams? It's never happened before. And we're hoping that after today, we, we hope that the Cardinals will still be undefeated. And listen to this, I guarantee that after today, the Raiders will be undefeated. 
because they don't play till tomorrow. But that's another issue. It's just easy to use sports analogies. So if sports is not part of your world, I apologize ahead of time because I'll, I'll probably use some of those. Our topic today, though, is not team football. It's team Jesus, which is the church. And in today's passage, Paul gives us great insight into the church as Jesus sees us. So we're going to read our passage today, Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. Let's stand together as we read these verses. Ephesians 4, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now you may be seated. Like everything we've seen in the book of Ephesians, this is a beautiful passage with a lot there. Do understand that last week our focus was on unity. Today we focus on teamwork. A church that is worthy of the calling of Jesus functions as a team. And so we're going to look at what Paul said about what makes the church a good team and be reminded of our role in that. And so number one, Paul says that a good team has the right gifts. Paul reminds us here that Jesus descended from heaven to earth and then after he ascended back to heaven, he gave grace gifts to every believer. Now, you all know I don't normally use Greek in my sermons, but you probably know these words. The, the, the Greek word for grace is charis, and for gifts is charisma. And so grace gifts, they're pretty much... Uh, the, the same concept here. Jesus, in his grace, gave us gifts of grace. And so every believer has a spiritual gift, a gift of grace that enables them to do something for Jesus and in the church with more than ordinary human ability. And so every church has gifted people who can do the various functions that need to be done in a church. Some are gifted 
in preaching. Some are gifted in evangelism. Some are gifted in giving generously. Some are gifted in leadership. Some are gifted in showing mercy or in teaching or in serving or in many other gifts that are mentioned in various places in the New Testament. And these gifts are not all the same. I don't have all the gifts. You don't have all the gifts. The gifts I have are not necessarily the same gifts that you have, but when we all use our gifts, we make a good team, a strong church. Now, think about a football team. They need a lot of different kinds of players. A good football team needs a strong-armed and accurate passer with the intelligence to understand both offensive and defensive systems. They also need some huge men to block, some fast men to run and catch the ball, and some who can kick, and some who can tackle, and some who can hike, and a bunch of other special teams. Every team, in order to be good, needs all those things with all of the players in the right positions and everyone contributing, and that's a picture of a church. Now, there's good news and there's bad news when you apply this to the church. The good news is that God provides all of the gifting. So all of us are gifted. You are are gifted in something. You may or may not know what you are gifted at. But everybody who is a believer in Jesus has some kind of spiritual gift, something that they can do very, very well that glorifies Jesus and that strengthens their church. Now that's the good news. The bad news is is that the modern church has adopted what I'm calling the NFL model for the church. There's 22 people on the field being watched by 60,000 people in the stands and maybe 10 million people on TV. And that's the wrong model for the church. But unfortunately, sometimes that's what we teach people. You know, come to church, sit down, and learn. Go to concerts and be blessed. Listen to, to, to podcasts and learn some more. Go to Bible studies and sit there and let someone else teach you, and you will learn some more. We should instead adopt the junior high football model. Everybody makes the team. Everybody gets to play, and then everybody grows. Because the biblical model is, 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 is that. Every single person has a gift. And when every single person finds what they're gifted at and does it, the church is a great team. And so a good team has the right gifts, number one. Number two, Paul talks about a good team has the right leadership. Verses 11 through 13 talk about those gifted in leading the church. The Apostles, that very first generation of leadership. Prophets, those who proclaim the truths of God. Evangelists, those who are gifted in leading people to faith in Jesus. And pastor, teachers, leaders of individual local churches. And then again, understand, God provides the gifting for these leaders. But we need to understand what these leaders are supposed to do. Now, again, a sports analogy. Football teams need coaches. Coaches provide leadership and strategy. They teach. They discipline. They put people in the right place to achieve. But in the NFL, or really football on any level, the coaches don't play. They're on the sidelines, calling plays, motivating, encouraging, instructing, correcting, managing the game, 
Cliff Kingsbury no longer throws passes. Kyler Murray is much better at it. I can't imagine Bill Belichick trying to tackle an NFL running back, although I'd kind of enjoy watching that. If, if Bruce Arians tried to block an NFL defensive lineman, he would end up in the hospital because it's not the role of the coach to play. They are the equippers, and that's the word here that is used by Paul. Leaders are equippers. They don't do all the work of the church. They equip others to do the work of the church. And so th th there's that wrong model, and churches for years ha have that. If we just hire the right pastor, he's going to do it. No, the right pastor is supposed to look you in the eye and say, you're supposed to do it. Here's how. Leaders need to be equippers. And, and so Paul here tells us what church leaders are supposed to do. We're to equip members for works of service. Church leaders are to find avenues of service for their members and then train them and equip them to serve. So the truth there is that every member of every church should either be in active service or in the process of training to serve. Now, we have more avenues of service in our church than, than any church I know of in our size because we have lots of ministries in which our people have been equipped and are serving. But right now, for example, we have real needs in our nursery, in our homeless ministry, in our worship ministry, in our fall festival ministry, and, and more. And it's the leader's job not to do all the work but to equip others so that every member of every church is involved in works of service. It's the leader's job to equip. It is every member's job to do the actual serving. Now, now apply that to yourself, and I hope you can finish this sentence. My current job in the church is, because every member should be able to, to give that very clearly. This, this is what I do. This is what God has called me to do. This is what I'm gifted to do. I'm constantly learning how to do it better. This is my job. And I hope you can finish that sentence. The right leadership equips people for works of service. The right leadership equips people for B, growth. Church leaders are to lead their people to spiritual growth. And when spiritual growth happens, usually, not always, but when spiritual growth happens, then numerical growth will follow. Because Every member of the church is strong and knows the gospel of Jesus and is talking to other people about the gospel of Jesus and is living the gospel of Jesus, and that is very attractive to people. And so a leadership leads towards works of service, leads towards growth, and C, church leaders are called to lead their church to unity. And listen, unity is based on an absolute commitment to Jesus above all else. Now, how important is unity? I talked about it last week, but I want you to see how important unity is. It's either mentioned or referred to in chapter 4 alone in verses 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 13, 15, 25, 26, and 32. That's just in one chapter in which Paul kept coming back. My purpose last week was to talk about unity, but now I'm talking about something else, but you need unity. And let me talk about something else, but you need unity. And let me talk about this, but you need unity in order to do this. And so a leader is supposed to teach his church unity. Now, personal note. 
I offended some people last week when I brought up some controversial issues like asylum and critical race theory. I'm going to give you a warning. As I continue to talk about unity, I'm going to continue to bring up controversial issues. Because unity is not, let's not say anything controversial and then we won't fight. Unity is our commitment to Jesus is so strong that we can talk about every controversial issue under the sun and do so in love. And so we need to learn to bring up the controversial issues and do so in love. I didn't solve either of those issues that I brought up last week because that, that's not my goal. My goal is to teach unity across races, across political parties, and in various other avenues. We need to teach that in the church, we can do this. We can talk about tough issues and do so with love. But understand, that happens only and it happens only, it happens only when my first commitment and your first commitment is to love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. If a secondary issue becomes my prominent issue, politics or politicians or masking or vaccines or immigration or sports or any other matter, we will never achieve unity. It's only when our Number one focus. I love Jesus more than anything else, so I love the people of Jesus even if they disagree with me. That's how unity comes. And so, yes, I don't bring up controversial issues to offend, but to teach you, it's in those avenues that we need unity the most. So, a pastor's job, a teacher's job, a leader's job is to teach works of service, growth, and unity. And that comes when we accept the great biblical commands that we will love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we will love people, all people, even people who have proclaimed themselves to be our enemy. We will love them as we love ourselves. D, a pastor's job, a leader's job, a team leader's job, is to teach maturity. Verse 13 says it well. Church leaders are to constantly work until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so God has gifted the church with apostles, with prophets, with evangelists, and with pastor teachers to lead the church for works of service, growth, unity, and maturity. I'll come back to that maturity here in a minute. And the third thing that a good team has is a good team has the right goals. You can know a lot about a person, a team, a business, or a church if you understand what their goals are. Let me give you an example. What is the goal of a good businessman? If it is only to make money, he may be rich and still be a poor businessman. The goal of a, of a businessman has to be more than that. He, he has to want to serve his community, to provide quality jobs for his employees, to take good care of his customers, to offer quality products and service for them and still make money. 
His goals define who he is. And if it's only to make money, he may cheat, steal, lie, or do whatever in order to make money. A good businessman, and I'm using good in the biblical sense, is a man who has much bigger goals than just getting rich. And so understanding a person's goals helps you understand them. So what are the goals of church? Paul gives us some here. Listen to the final verses that we read. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So what are our goals? It relates back to that point that I brought up earlier, maturity. And so a church has to have these goals. We want to be mature in our knowledge. We need, as a church, and you need as a person, and I need as a pastor, such a secure knowledge of the truths of God and of the Word of God that we cannot be swayed by the latest unbiblical theory, by the latest unbiblical philosophy, or by the cunning and craftiness of people, and there are many of them in our world who want to turn our, our opinion away from God. We need to have a mature knowledge. We know what biblical truth really is. Now, understand this. That does not mean that your opinion cannot be changed. If your opinion cannot be changed, you're just stubborn. Your opinion should be changed by deeper understanding of God's truth. And you want to get to the point where you know it so well that the latest theory, the latest philosophy, the latest person coming out with some supposed new truth doesn't change who you are and what you believe. I have in my backyard, one of the first things I did when I moved into a new house um, about three years ago was I, I planted a tree in the backyard, very immature tree. Now, the neat thing about it, it was already about six foot tall, but it was only about three-quarter inch thick. And so, you know, you, you staked it up the way you're supposed to with a couple of stakes and, and some flexible wires and, and, and things to help it grow strong. But it was not strong. It was not mature. We've had a lot of big winds over the last three years, and the tree has blown this way and then that way. Stakes have broken. Ties have broken. Ropes have frayed. The tree has bent in almost every possible way. And so I've had to continually restake and retie. Now that it's older, it's not yet mature, but now that it's older, I'm having to do less of that. It's not mature yet, but it's starting to stand on its own. And that's the goal of a person or a church. So strong that you can't be broken, so solid that you can't be bent, and so well pruned that you can withstand any storm. And that comes only with a deep understanding of the faith. Now, now let me tell you again what I tell you all the time. I cannot give you that deep understanding of the faith in half an hour a week. Your Sunday school teacher cannot do that in an hour a week. It takes responsibility on your part that I'm going to learn this thing. 
and keep learning this thing because you never quite get it all. And I'll keep learning this until the day God calls me home. So a, a, a church has to have the, a goal of mature knowledge. It also has to have a goal of mature communication. Knowing the truth is not enough. Paul says that we need mature communication, and mature communication is speaking the truth in love. In love. There's a problem with today's communication. Social media has made it worse. Slanted news media has made it worse. The problem is that instead of speaking the truth in love, we speak our opinion with anger and hatred and profanity and venom. That's not the way of Jesus at all. Mature communication is truth with love. Truth with love. You can be 100% right in your thinking and 100% wrong in your communication if it's not communicated with love. And the problem is that truth without love does more harm, or at least as much harm, to the cause of Christ as untruth. And so a church has to have this, this, this right, these right goals, mature knowledge, mature communication, and then mature representation, meaning we need to accept the understanding and live it that we are a representation of Jesus to the world. When people look at me, I want them to see more than an old preacher. I want them to see Jesus. When people look at Avondale Baptist Church, I want them to see more than a building with a steeple on top and a gymnasium out back. I want them to see Jesus. And it has to be one of our goals. Is that when people look at us, they, they don't think Baptist. They don't think church, they don't think pews, they don't think old-fashioned or anything else. They think Jesus. And so those are our goals, mature knowledge, mature communication, mature representation. So what am I asking you to do? I always conclude with, with, with some practical steps. I'm going to ask you to do two things. Oh, you get them both at the same time. Okay, learn the truths and the practices of Jesus. You need to know who Jesus is. You need to know what the gospel is. You need to know who God is. You need to know how God looks at people. You need to know how God looks at the church. If, if you're unsure of those things, I would say immediately go back and read the Sermon on the Mount. That'll give you a good overall understanding of the teachings of Jesus. But you need to know these things, and they, not politics, not sports, not business, not anything else, they need to dominate your thinking. The truths and practices of Jesus. And then number two, Get in the game. Come out of the stands. Get off the bench and serve. I, I, I got people tell me all the time, well, I'm, I'm kind of in that learning phase. Listen, I want you to learn something. You learn much more by on-the-job training than you do in a classroom in almost any practical point of view, and that's especially true of Christianity. You learn on-the-job training by serving. Listen, growing up in the church, I learned about love in the church, in my family, 
in my Sunday school classes. But learning to love people who are different than me, you know when that hit me? I started going out as a college student to a little tiny home church in Gila Bend, Arizona to preach. And there I met a boy by the name of Isaac, Isaac. He was six years old. Probably, although I never asked, his family was living illegally in our country. He survived the heat of summer in Gila Bend, Arizona without an air conditioner, without an evaporative cooler, and for at least half of the summer without even a box fan. He had been severely abused by his parents. He had burn marks in the palms of his hand because when he got in trouble, they would take his hand and put it down on a candle flame. And so it's almost like he looked like the hands of Jesus with scars in the middle. That's when all my theory about love and loving people different than me, who thought differently from different backgrounds, even different nationalities with different primary languages, that's when it became real for me. But that only happened because I got off the bench and I started serving. Now, I've lost track with Isaac. Doing the math this week, he'd be about 45 years old. I don't even remember his last name. I have no clue. Probably will not ever see him again in this world, though I haven't given up on that. But he will be in heaven someday because we talked to him about Jesus, and he was one of the first in that church to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. You learn the theory when you hear preaching. You learn it in the heart when you get out and serve. So members of Avondale Baptist Church, get in the game. Get out of the pew. In a minute, get out of the pew. <laughs> Sign up for a ministry and serve. If you're ready to do that, to join our church, to be baptized like Farid and Nadine are going to be in the next service, then we invite you to come forward or to let us know on a connection card. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church. If we can help you in any way, please contact us. Our information is on our webpage at abcaz.net, or you can call us at 623-932-2723. Thank you, and may God bless you and your family.